Hello, everybody. Isn't it awesome how God's raising up people in this house, eh? Come on, let's give Sarah a, a round of applause. That was, that was brilliant. I was just sitting there just loving, laughing, and enjoying that. That was so much fun. All right, so if you're just joining us this morning, you've joined us right slap bang, almost in the middle of our DNA series. So what we're doing is the DNA series is trying to articulate as carefully and clearly as we can what it is. Hey, hang on a second. Ryan, it is so good to have you back. Ryan is back after about five weeks. Meningitis is not for sissies. So, so good to have you back. So we, we're doing a DNA series, and our DNA series is to clearly, as clearly as we can, articulate what it is that makes One Hope distinctive. What is it that we feel that God has placed in us that you need to know if you're going to join us? Maybe you've been with us for some time. It's great to be reminded of what God has called us to uniquely, as well as we're kind of talking a little bit more broadly about what are the things that God's called every church to. What is it that we should all be doing? And hopefully by the end of our DNA series, if you're looking in, you've got a really clear idea. This is a place where I can come and serve with my family, lay down my life. I can be part of this community and God wants me here. And if not, that's okay. We've been saying it all through the series. There's wonderful other churches in this town that would also benefit from you greatly. All right, so you with me? So this is how we've done it. We've looked at, first of all, we just started off saying, um, why bother with church? It's a good question in our day and age. Why should we bother with church? And we did a few weeks just talking about community and what God intended for community, how Scripture teaches us about community. Then we went on to three really key aspects of the gospel, which we wanted to make sure that we have clear, which is salvation by faith alone, salvation by grace alone. Right? Ringing any bells? Then we did our very first very practical week, which was what do we actually believe? And we've used a language around that to try and helpfully, um, I'm trying to find a cultural language that we can use within our midst to talk through areas where we disagree. So we're using blood, pen, pencil. Blood issues are issues that we're going to hold on to with everything. If you don't believe them, we don't believe you're in heaven with us. This is salvation issues, blood issues. Then we get pen issues. Sometimes people think blood issues are pen issues, but they aren't. Pen issues are issues where you can differ on us. So you might believe that you can baptize tiny little babies, infant baptism. We believe in believers' baptism. We're still going to be in heaven, right? One of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be wrong. Well, God said, you guys, you're so silly. You could have done it either way. Who knows? All right, these are pen issues. They're important for us, but we're not going to die on a rock over them. Then there's pencil issues, which we don't consider massively important. And it gets confusing because some people believe that their pen issue is actually for us a pencil issue or a blood issue. So you can go and listen to that. Um, It's online. You can watch the video. Our guys are doing an amazing job of getting media up. So you can go and catch up on that. The week after that, Bates spoke so beautifully on serving together and how as a community God has called us not just to meet and have coffees and have muffins, but actually to serve. And how does that outwork its way? We're trying to be very practical. And if you weren't serving before and you listened to that sermon, you should have a good idea of how you can begin serving. And then last week was probably one of my favorite weeks of the year. I I love it every year, our Thanksgiving Sunday, where we just hear testimonies of the testimonies of people standing up and sharing about what God's been doing in their lives. And the part that just delighted my heart so much last week, that's also online, you can go and get it. What delighted my heart so much is how so many of you stood up and shared about deep suffering, about being in the midst of deep suffering. You're not even on the other end yet, and yet you're clinging to God. And saying, God is faithful. God, as you've been singing, God is good. God has not let me down. And, and for me, that is a huge win for this church. If our people can begin to see that God did not call us to a comfortable, easy life, but instead called us to a life where even in suffering, we cling to Him. Man, we are winning at something. That was a beautiful Sunday. And then today, I want to speak about being on mission together. Being on mission together. All right. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. It's an unusual place to start, but we'll start there. And then we're going to go to a text in Romans just now, so you can get your finger in Romans 15 at the same time. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you're still welcome today. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples. 
Verse 24, Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's about at that point in the sermon where normally you start to realize this is not going to be the most fun, comfortable sermon you've ever heard in your life, right? Come a little bit closer. For whoever would save his life, verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I want you to think about that phrase. We're not going to dwell on it today. But think about it in the context of social justice. In the context of what we're trying to do with Serve Stellenbosch. We need to keep this thing so front and center. What does it profit a man if, it gains, if he gains the whole world? has the best education, has clothing, has food. What does it profit him if he does not have his soul saved by Jesus? And this is our driving force when it comes to anything that we do socially. We're saying, God, our heart is salvation and we want to help and we want to love. What shall a man give in return for his soul? So my first point this morning is very simply, mission is costly. Mission is costly. When we talk mission, I'm talking about looking out beyond ourselves. I'm looking at, be, at, at other churches and what it means to be in unity together. That's a part of mission. That's a part of mission, and we're going to speak about that a little bit later on, and it's costly. There's this guy, his name is William Temple. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the late 1900s and the early 20th century. And this is what he said. This is what he's most famous for saying. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. I'm read that again, and I want you to think about that. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. And I want to ask you, is that true? Do we exist primarily for those who are not yet a part of us? is what effectively he's saying. And I think, I think when we ask the question, is that true? All of us on some level, myself very much included, find that a very, very tough statement. I do think it's true. I think it's true to Scripture. I think there's more to it, but definitely there's truth in there. And I think all of us find it a tough statement, not because we don't want to take the gospel beyond these four walls. I don't think that's the problem. I don't think any of us, if you had to do a quiz, would say, I don't think that the gospel ought to go out. I don't think any of us would say, you know what, I don't want to reach out to those who are less fortunate. I don't, I don't want to spread the gospel with the poor, with the marginalized, with people that, that need it around the world. None of us would say that, right? But I think that if we're really honest, what is going on in our hearts is that we want to do those things without a subsequent loss in the column. If you could look at it like a ledger. We want to do those things reaching out without a subsequent loss to our comfort. Someone else should reach them. Someone else should pay for the missionaries to reach them. Isn't that the pastor's job? Shouldn't he do it? So the problem is not that we don't want it done. The problem is what it's going to cost us. It's our comfort. It's our needs. Hey, if you start focusing on people out there, are you going to focus enough on us? What about my kids and kids' church? I think the problem is that when we focus on the non-members, there's less focus on me. And that's hard to die to. So this scripture that we read in Matthew 16 is so beautiful and profound for many reasons, but this is the, this is the kind of logical progression of of what Jesus is saying, if you just break it out, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life, which is what happens when you take up your cross, lose your life, and then reject what the world says is most valuable in favor of what God says is most valuable. What does it profit a man? What is the world telling you is profitable? And here's the part I found so profound about the scripture in Matthew 16. It's basically a shorthand prophetic 
utterance from Jesus of a summary or a shorthand version of his life. He's telling his disciples, I want you to live like this. And then a few years later, his disciples get to see him live like that. I want you to deny yourself, Jesus says. I want you to pick up your cross, Jesus does. I want you to lose your life. And I want you to reject what the world says is most valuable. What's the most valuable thing you have right now this morning? Your life. There's nothing more valuable. Lose your life so that you may find it. And when, when we begin to realize one hope, when we begin to realize that we cannot meaningfully reach outward without significant cost to ourselves, our culture has programmed us to say, no thank you very much. I am fine with Christianity just like this. I like my church just like this. Let's not have a, a week on missions. Let's not talk about this. And there's, there's a lot of ways we can see that working out. Uh, one of the ways for me is to think through why I believe church exists. Why do I think what we have here on a why, why does this exist? If I'm honest, I, I want my community needs met. I want friendship. I want to be loved and cared for when I'm struggling. Are those bad things? No, those are such good things. They're such good things. They're godly things. They're biblical things. But mission comes and says it's not enough. It comes and says, we're going to take some of those friends that you like so much and I'm going to call them and send them somewhere else in the world. I'm going to ask them to change careers and do something different with their lives and that's going to mean they're going to move to a different city and they can't be your best buddies who live next door anymore. And then we go, ah, don't know if I like that part of mission. And mission comes and says, yes, you're here to be cared for and yes, we want to love you when you're struggling, but there's so many more to reach. And when we're going to reach out to those, some of them in much worse shape than what we are, I'm not going to get the attention and the time and the effort that I think I deserve. So all of that I'm trying to say through this whole first point, mission is costly. And I'm trying to open our eyes to be aware that we are not approaching what Scripture teaches about mission in a neutral way. Anyone who believes that you're sitting here this morning and you're just neutral about mission, you're deluding yourself. We are not neutral in any way. Culture has bent us a long, 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 long way. A long way. Did you get that? A long way. Culture has bent us towards seeking our own comfort, towards self-preservation, to keeping our children as close to us as possible. Lord, don't send my children to Africa. Keep them here. Let them live just one road away. Where culture has bent us towards the path of least resistance, etc., etc., and on we could go. And we need to see this clearly and anticipate that when we come to scriptures about mission, when we come to looking outward, we need to anticipate that our hearts are screaming. That Lord of the Rings is happening inside of our hearts and there's this battle, this rebellion going on and we're saying, no! Because if we don't read scripture like that, I don't think we're being very honest about what's going on inside of our hearts. We want comfort and we want it now and we want it forever. And Scripture comes and pokes a finger in the eye of comfort and it's costly. Following Jesus is costly. Missions are costly. Oh God, how, how much I struggle with these things. I was just thinking this morning when I was going over this, Paul, it's Manchester United against Liverpool today. Right? Man City. Man City against Liverpool. It's the biggest game of the season. If the Lord had to come to me and say to me tonight, I'm not even going to tell you what time it is because one of you are going to prank call me with a pastoral call and say to me, you can't watch that game. I'd be like, oh Lord, that's so costly. And then I just thought, really? Really in perspective, is that so costly? Waking up early, is that so costly? <laughs> True said. All right, have you got it? That's what I'm trying to say in that first point. When we come to Scripture, we need to understand our hearts are not neutral on this issue. If we can begin to let that bubble in our hearts and say, God, I know this is going to be hard. God, I know my eyes are bent that way. My culture is bent that way. Everything I want to read, I want to read it that way. Maybe 
we'll begin to see Him bringing that back in our lives to a place where we say, God, we see it rightly. We can see that, and, and we're going to pay prices that we wouldn't have been prepared to pay. All right. The second question we need to ask is, why do we do mission? Why do we do mission? And I was battling over this, and then I, I found this little six-minute video clip which perfectly articulates the biblical basis of mission. So if you guys, Neil, if you would run that, that'd be great. Just watch this, pay attention to it. It's quite quick, but there's some beautiful stuff in there. The Bible is an incredible text made up of 66 different books written by more than 40 authors over a span of a thousand years. It is not just a compilation of a bunch of different stories, or a self-help manual, or even a devotional book. It is one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's glory. Let's take a look at His story. In the beginning, God created everything for Himself and His glory. At the pinnacle of that creation, He made man so that God could share Himself with others. We were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. But man decided that God couldn't be trusted, that he was holding something back from us. We decided to live for ourselves instead of for God, and this filled the earth with sin and selfishness. The generations of man had soon gone so far off track, in fact, that God flooded the entire earth and started over with a man named Noah. When Noah stepped off the ark, God told him the same words he had told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Once again, however, humanity looks to give itself honor instead of God. Because they all shared the same language, it was easy to communicate and cooperate, so they made a plan. At a place called Babel, they would build a tower up to the heavens, and in doing so, make a name for themselves. They labored to build their own kingdom rather than obey God's command. They had made the same mistake as each of the generations before them. Since mankind had ignored his message to spread his name and his glory throughout the earth, God took matters into his own hands. He scrambled the languages of the people so they could no longer communicate easily with each other. In that moment, God had formed the many different tribes and peoples of the world, so the different people groups spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Out of those nations, God chose a man named Abraham and made a covenant with him. God told Abraham that he would bless him and all his descendants, turning them into a great nation that would bless all the other nations. God eventually called this nation Israel, and he began to demonstrate his glory through them in many ways. He gave them a set of laws to live by so that they could live separate and holy lives from all the other nations. In doing so, they would become his royal priests, mediating between God and man. By living out his commands in the sight of the nations, Israel would encourage people to love God and love others. God also gave Israel a special geographical place on the earth, strategically located in the middle of all other nations. It was in this promised land that Israel would be a light to all nations, showing them the path to God even in the darkness of the world. Sometimes Israel would live out this calling well, understanding God's desire to bless all of the peoples of the earth through them. Other times, though, Israel would fall into the same trap that humanity had again and again, glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. When Israel got off track, God intervened. Sometimes he raised up prophets to remind them of their mandate to bless the nations with the blessings he had given them. Other times he would discipline his people by allowing them to be taken captive by other nations. Regardless, God used Israel, even in their disobedience, to make his name great throughout the earth. But all of this was just the beginning of what God had in store. In all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for a promised Messiah King who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never be defeated. That, of course, leads us to Jesus. God sent His Son Jesus to earth for 33 years to dramatically demonstrate the Father's love for both Jew and Gentile alike. Yes, He was from King David's bloodline, but his genealogy had both Jews and Gentiles in it. His first worshipers were the wise men, Gentiles from the East. Angels proclaimed that his salvation would be for all peoples. Even his baby dedication identified him as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Time and time again, Christ reminded his disciples, who considered themselves God's favorite, 
that God's plan from the beginning was to bless all peoples. His life modeled this message perfectly. He became angry when the temple wasn't being used as a house of prayer for all nations. He told parables about the kingdom of God being a kingdom for all people groups. And he preached good news to Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, educated, and uneducated alike. Jesus served Canaanites, Samaritans, Romans, and Greeks. He was and is a true Messiah for all nations. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose again with a perfect resurrection. Then he commanded us to go make disciples of all nations, the perfect words to sum up his ministry. He told us that this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all of the ethnic groups, and then the end would come. We saw the beginnings of this when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples at Pentecost and told the wonders of God in all the different languages of the world. We saw it continued when Christ called Paul and other apostles to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It continues even now. We are waiting for the end that we see in Revelation, when the Lamb of God, Jesus, has purchased with His blood people from every nation. Those people will form a multitude that no one can count from every tribe, tongue, and people group, worshiping and saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the story of the Bible, a single cohesive story from cover to cover. God's story, the story of His glory among all the nations. But it can't come to fruition until all nations have heard. He invites you into that story. He invites you into that mission. What part will you play? Isn't that helpful? So that goes out, those videos and things will go out in the newsletter this week as well so that you can watch it again, think about it some more. There's quite a lot of detail in there. I'll highlight a few things, and if you're not on the newsletter, please speak to one of our staffers, and we'll get you on the newsletter, and then you can get that and a whole bunch of other things. But I want to highlight one or two quick things out of that video. Did you notice the moment where he said, in all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for the promised Messiah King? That, that in a summary, is what we were trying to do in Ezra and Nehemiah, as you'll well remember. We were speaking again and again about this anticlimactic theme through the Old Testament, right from Adam, how there's this like moments of hope, and like, oh, now we've built the wall. Now we're going to suddenly be able to serve God. Now we've got our temple. Now it's going to happen. And each time, it ends in this anticlimax anti and anticlimax. And we've spoken about that at length. But it's the same thing that this guy is saying. In all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for the promised Messiah King who would bring a kingdom that would never end. And then one of the key messages coming that this guy was trying to bring through in the video is that this is for everyone. From its inceptions, from, from the Abrahamic promise, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all people, all nations. It's always been God's plan. And then there's this beautiful picture. While we have the anticlimaxes of the Old Testament, at the same time we've, we've spoken through Ezra and Nehemiah about this repeating drama. Right? We called it like, a, like an act one, scene one, act two, and how, how, how people have continued to rebel against God and how God has continued to rescue them in this, in this kind of drama or this play. And it's just so beautifully picked up in that, in that video. If you go and read and you see the repeating drama of rebellion, Babel is not a kid's story that's just taught to kids about guys trying to build a tall tower. It's not a story about engineering. Babel is a story about rebellion. It's God saying, I want you to go out and fill the world. And the people saying, no, we'll rather build a city. We're going to stay right here. And if you go and read it, they say, we will make a name for ourselves. That's rebellion. And so God comes in and, and confuses their language. And then when you skip all the way forward to Acts chapter 2, and you go and read what happens, doesn't it suddenly, isn't it suddenly remarkable that God gives language back in tongues? That suddenly people are speaking and everybody in front of them can hear the good news of Jesus? Isn't that powerful? And then isn't it powerful when you link that to Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7, where it says that every person, every tribe is going to stand before God and worship in every tongue and language? See that pattern? 
It's beautiful. John Piper has this beautiful phrase. He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. We must continue to tell people about Jesus. We must continue to go out on mission because people don't yet worship Jesus. Do you know that I don't have a job in heaven? Do you know that missionaries don't have a job in heaven? Everyone will know about God. This is a now job. This is a only can be completed while we are alive here in a sinful, broken world job. So I, there's so much. We want, I, there's a whole series to be done on why we do mission. But I want to, I want to speak about because this is a DNA series. So I need to bring it into a very practical space. And for the next 10 minutes or so, I want to ask this question, how do we do mission? And I want to turn to Romans 15, and I'm going to exegete first a little bit from the Word of God, and then I'm going to explain to us just some of One Hope's DNA, some of where we've come from, some of what we feel is the way that we want to do mission in this church. And at the same time, I want to tell you that this thing feels like it's an embryo still for us. It feels like this is something that God's going to take in in the years to come, teach us how to do more and deeper missions into the nation so it feels like we're right at the start of this but let me preach it anyway because it's in God's word and we need to hear it this is a remarkable passage of scripture Romans 15 in verse we'll start in verse 17 and we'll read to verse 24 with some stops along the way so verse 17 says in Christ Jesus then and it's Paul writing and he's writing about the missionary work that he's been doing he says in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. In other words, I've been effective. God has been using me. I want to boast in Christ. But Gentiles are coming to faith. This is my calling. And he then goes on, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonder, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now pay attention. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to, how do you say that word, anyone? Illyricum. I would say Illyricum. Okay, I'm just going to go with that. Now, I want you to understand that Illyricum from Jerusalem, we just read that and we have no idea what these places are, right? To get to Illyricum from Jerusalem, you go from Jerusalem up the coast. So you go north, you go all the way up through Syria, then you go all modern day Syria, then you go all the way through modern day Turkey, then you come down the east coast of Greece, you go all along the northern tip of Greece, and you come back up. The western tip, if I got that right, east-west, the western tip of Greece, and there's Illyricum. How do I say it now? Illyricum. There's Illyricum. It's a huge region filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Isn't it unbelievable that Paul can say, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ? How can he say that? Surely that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. How can, how can he say that? And then he carries on and says, and thus, I make it my ambition. Because I'm finished here, now I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. In other words, I'm going to the people who've never, ever, ever heard. I'm going to Spain, modern day. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, because I had to do this work here. But now, now listen to this, since I no longer have any work, any room for work in these regions, I don't have any more room to work here. I'm done, says Paul. <laughs> and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, and he continues. And I want to pick up on these phrases, as you would have noticed. I, have, I no longer have any room for work here. It's just crazy. He, at the same time, you need to know that he left behind Titus, and he left behind Timothy, and he left behind a whole bunch of other, other pastors. And if you go and read Timothy chapter 4, you'll see that he says to them, he says, Timothy, do the work of Anne, evangelist so he's not saying 
everyone knows Jesus. What Paul is saying is my job, my call here is done. I'm finished. Now I've raised up Timothy and Titus. And maybe there's 50,000 people who still don't know Jesus. But I trust them. They're coming in. I've laid the foundations. They're coming in and they're going to lead these churches going forward. You know, when he says in verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. I can't say that. You can't say that. How many of you can say, I make it my life's ambition to preach the name of Jesus where it has never been preached? But I'm wondering if God is calling some. One hope, I'm wondering if God is calling some. Some few people in our congregation. This Paul-like calling to be cross-cultural missionaries to those who have never heard. So what's, what's the application of this Romans text. Well, the application is that God is raising up men and women like Paul. Surely, that are going to say, we have no room here. And you say, but look, there's a whole campus. There's thousands of people here who don't know Jesus. They say, yes, I know that. But there's something unsettled in my heart. There's something that says, I have no room here. My work here is finished. I must go. I'm compelled to go. Paul type people that are compelled to go to places where we've never heard the name of Jesus. This week on Tuesday, we had the privilege. It is not a cost. It is a privilege to pray and to fast together. Once a month. Come on, guys. Once a month. Let's give up some food and let's pray. On Tuesday, we did that. And our theme this week was missions. And we were crying out for what God has put around us as well as people who are out in the field. And then on Tuesday night when we came together, I wasn't there because I went to my child prize giving. We called in on Skype, Francois and Raleen, who are a new-gen couple who are in Indonesia. And they were sharing with us what God's doing and praying into different parts of Indonesia. This is a couple who have a Paul-like calling to take your teenage children, sell everything you have, and move to Indonesia is a Paul-like calling. This is why we send finance to Francois and Raleen every single month. We send finance from this church, from you. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Why? Why do we do that? Because God is saying, I have some in whose heart I have planted a seed that says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And for some who say, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... God, I, as I prepare this, and as I was sitting, even this morning, my heart was stirred. I wonder if there are some sitting here today that God is placing this call in your heart. I wonder if God wants to stir some hearts, open some, ho some eyes. One hope, I wonder when and who God will send out from us. What a privilege if we could support people from us. And then... I think that the application is also obvious that as exactly the same time as God is raising up Paul-type people, He's raising up Timothys and Tituses and people in business and all sorts. You're going to read the New Testament and you'll see how varied the gifts are that God uses to fulfill His mission. Timothy only moved from Lystra to Ephesus. It's not far. Natal, Cape Town, Cape Town, Joburg, not far. But for, the, for all we can see from history, he spent the rest, Timothy spent the rest of his life pastoring that Ephesian church. Poured out the rest of his life in that Ephesian church. I forgot to say Zimbabwe to South Africa. We need that, Lord. See some Zimbabweans. Bring them. Timothy served that body for the rest of his life. And the Timothy-type churches, it's, it's that type of church when Paul is writing to the Romans that he says, I've longed for years to come to you. There's nothing negative about this calling. There's nothing higher about the missionary calling. It's just different. It's just God saying, I've placed a Paul in you, and I've placed a Timothy in you. 
I want you to stay. He says, I've longed to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Not I'm picking you up and you're coming with me. No, I'm going alone. You're staying. You're staying there, buddy. I need you there. I want to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And you are going to help me on my journey. I'm going to be helped by you there. And for some of us, and right now, myself, Kate, our family, we believe God has called us to this, a Timothy-type environment. And we're wondering, God, could we do this a whole lot better? Could we support so much more? Paul says, man, you're not coming with me, but I need your support. I need you to help me where I'm going. You can go and look at this in other parts of of Scripture as well. I need need to be encouraged by you. I need to be supported by you. I need your finances. I need your provision. I need you to send me on my way. And so here's the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is we need senders and we need goers. Both. And I think the biblical pattern is extremely clear that the goers are far fewer than the senders. The few that God puts this call in. We need Paul types and we need Timothy types. We need those who are prepared to pack up their jobs and their homes and their families and give up their careers who say, my work here is done. There's no more room for me here. Not because of some existential crisis, midlife crisis, because you want an adventure that you haven't fulfilled and now you're going to do it. No, 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 no. Because the deep call of God, the sacrificial call of God has gripped your heart and you think, if I don't do this, I cannot live anymore. I must go. And at the same time, we need those who stay behind and who lead and evangelize and learn in God how to joyfully support His mission around the world. We need prayer warriors. We need men and women gifted in business, gifted in making money. And like Romans 12 says, when you have, when you have the ability to make money, give generously. We need those. It doesn't help if everyone puts up their hand and says, I'm going. We need the senders just as much. We need stay-at-home moms. We need students who've who've learned the gift of well-timed encouragement and thoughtfulness. (laughs) Hello, Siri. She obviously likes what we've got to say this morning. I don't know if she wants to come in. But we need we need people in ordinary jobs and ordinary lives that recognize the call and the demand on people placed in difficult parts of the world, who prepared to pick up a phone and just say, how's it going? And send an email or get on a plane and fly there and just love on them for a week and take them for a restaurant dinner that they maybe haven't been able to have for five years. We believe in senders and goers. We believe in short-term mission. We believe in long-term mission. We believe we want to encourage and lift up hands. We believe Romans 10. Romans 10 saying, "How, how then... Will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's like a degree in obviousology. Right? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We need the senders. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And guys, I'm convinced that our rewards in heaven are going to be equal those who go, those who stay, if we are doing what God has called us to do, our rewards will be equal. So let's talk about One Hope. Let's talk about missions. I'm going to get Bates up in a moment. We're going to get Chris and Adele up in a moment. We're going to pray off our students in a moment. Long moments. But this is a little bit of what we see. And like I said, we feel like we're right in the embryonic stage of this. So maybe, maybe even today, God's planting in your heart some thoughts, some ideas, some chias, some like, come Come and bring your stuff to the table. And maybe even you're going to be part of what God wants to do as we learn about what missions truly means. Because I don't feel like we're even scratching the surface yet. But here's a little bit of what we do. So I've mentioned Francois and Raleen. So this is a long, I'd call this long-term missionary support. Francois and Raleen. Then with Advance, we give money monthly into the Advance Network with Madagascar, with Tanzania, with Kenya. These guys are working in difficult places. I think of Blake and Rachel who've gone over to Madagascar. I think of Pete and Jan sitting here this morning. It's so good to have you. How many trips did you do into Madagascar? Over 40. If, I think it was 58. 58 trips out of New Gen, which is our DNA, into that country. And now we look and we see God doing amazing things. Tank, who was part of us, came and spent six months with us in, in Somerset West. 
and, and, and a lot of others. I can give you probably five different names of people who came and did that. Are now leading churches, effective churches, planting churches. There were three planted, I think, in the last four months. Planting churches off the back of short-term missions and going in and support. Here's a developing story. Right? You guys know Anton and Di, who were with us for five years. They were missionaries in Burundi. They came here. They were tired. They were weary. They said, we just need to get our feet up and just be loved on for a little while. They were with us for five years. And then because they've got this pioneer spirit, they're in Rwanda. Right? They're actually doing like this business. amazing. On Lake Kivu, they're doing this fish farming enterprise, linking in with social justice. But inside of their hearts is this burning desire. You can't take the missionary out of a missionary. And so Anton contacted me three or four weeks ago and said, hey, you won't believe it. I said, no, I will. But you won't believe it. But there's some Afrikaans families here in Rwanda. And they're starting to gather with us. And they're getting three, four, five families beginning to meet regularly. And he said, hey, would you guys, would one hope be kind of the covering? Or would you, would you pray for us and care for us? And maybe, this is his words, not mine. He says, maybe this is the beginning of One Hope Rwanda. How cool! Developing story. You heard it here first. And that's completely embryonic. It's teeny tiny. We don't know what God's going to do. But isn't it exciting? That God could take someone from here, thrust them out, and we could somehow support. Maybe there's some students, you don't know what you want to do. Go and spend a year with Anton and die. It will do you so good. Maybe there's someone else who says, I'm going to pay for that student. <laughs> Amen from the students. Here's our short-term, short-term missions. We do this. We speak about this regularly. Going up to Zim, we'll tell you a little bit more about it as the years, as I finish this, and then we're going to speak about next year a little bit. But this is our simple strategy for short-term missions. Many happy returns. I think you actually coined that. Many, many happy returns. In other words, we keep going back to the same place again and again and again so that we can establish relationship, so that we know who we can trust, so that we build credibility, so that they know that they can trust us. That's why we go back into Zimbabwe year after year to the same people, so we avoid the spiritual tourism and all the other criticism. Anyway, Bates, come and tell us about the Zim trip and about Futures Fall, and I'm going to get up in a second again. A long second. Hey guys, awesome. Um, yeah, so one of the ways we join God in His mission is by, as we said, going to our neighboring nations, and we've been doing that for years and years, partnering with the same guys, uh, Rescue Gospel Mission, Dumi, Gutsy, and a few other guys there, and we also go to a neighboring community, Serve Clutersville, which we started, uh, or Clutersville, which we started this year, and we're going to continue that. Both of those are happening again, just as a little uh, advert, next year again, June 2020, two-week trip to Zim, and a one-week outreach in uh, Clutersville. Can we roll the Zim clip from this year, just a feedback clip? Uh, thanks, Megs, for making that video. So you see, we don't, we're not uh, in Zim for a holiday. <laughs> we really are getting stuck in. It's just amazing opportunities. Our heart there is to go and blow wind into the sails of the local guys who are on the ground there doing ministry day in, day out, year in, year out. We just want to go and be an encouragement. We get incredible opportunity, uh, exposure to share Jesus, to share our lives with the people there. It's just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And it's so amazing because God blesses those who go as well as those who receive us as we go. So it's amazing. Um, then you'll see a picture of um, our Serve Clutersville outreach as well, which is just a incredible this year. Uh, four days with these young guys, uh, having an amazing time, doing a holiday club with them. Uh, it was intense. It was about 60 kids, but it was just so special. The team did such a great job as one. And it's a community right next to us, culture very different from any of our cultures, uh, kids who are really grown up in tough environments. So just an amazing opportunity to love and serve them, serve the organizations that we work with. They partner with four organizations who are busy in Clutersville year in, year out. We partner with them and we ran the holiday club, which was amazing. Again, that's happening again this year. To close, I just want to share two quick stories from those this year. Uh, the first one was from uh, from Zim. So we, the awesome thing, uh, just to like kind of build on this, is that weekly, almost, I'm in communication with the guy who we went to um, support there in the church, and we're just encouraging one another, praying for one another, and it's just so cool that it's not just this once-off, go and you know, drop a bomb and leave, but we actually get to uh, journey with the guys. 
And then Phil, you would have seen him in one of the photos. They have him and uh, Christelle have moved up to the US. And he's a guy who works in organizational health. So he kind of comes into professional teams and makes them better and work better together and so on. And it was so cool when he commented on our team and the Zoom. He's like, this is the most healthy team I've ever been involved in. And we'd only been together, what, two weeks, which was so cool to, to hear that. And just how God moves by spirits with people who hardly know each other. And we just get to go and be a blessing. And then uh, one from Serve Plutusel. So we were at the feedback meeting with organizations who ran that holiday club with us. And the one lady shared, she's from another organization in town, she shared that in the previous year, um, so 2018, during that first week of the school holidays, three of their kids had been involved in house break-ins. This year, none of them. So it was just amazing that there's stuff happening there and it's beautiful. We get to partner with God in what he's doing in the nations and in our neighboring communities. So I encourage you to join next year as we're going to have those same opportunities available to each of us. so nearly made it through without crying and like right on the cusp <laughs> if you knew that's just an inside joke I'm sorry so that's an amazing thing that's happening next year in July or June when we go I'm leading that trip and one of the angles we want to take is specifically to make it open to people with kids eight and older so I'm going to take probably three of mine maybe two depends on how many students I can get willing to help me shout out um, but just to put it in your minds now already that if you've got kids eight and older, we're going to tailor a section of that trip around making it more kid-friendly and accessible. Um, all right, so that's, that's some of our longer-term and short-term missions. But what about right at home? This is, this is quite left field, so I want to I'm, I'm just do this as carefully as I can, as, as thoughtfully as I can. But a key part of our calling is to be missional right here in Stellenbosch, Right? For 95% of us, maybe more, we're going to be focused on our day-to-day. This is going to be our primary place of evangelism, right here in Stellenbosch. So now, here's the left field part. I want to tell you about what God is doing among the pastors in this town. I'm speaking about it frequently because I want it to be something front and center of our minds. This week, Thursday, we had another prayer meeting with about nine pastors. And I just want to tell you guys, God is doing something amazing. In a town where the tradition has been that we avoid one another, we're petrified that you're going to take our people and our money, God is beginning to knit hearts together. The room was so full of prayer and just of faith as pastors were praying for one another. And then the most beautiful thing, at the end, just spontaneously, guys began getting around other guys, laying hands on them and beginning to prophesy life and success and and beauty of God working in their churches. And I want to tell you this is counter cultural and especially counter Stellenbosch. Now that's a weird way to speak about missions, but <laughs> from I, I believe that God is kind of putting like this, this new thing in Stellenbosch where we're going from just unity among the churches and like just lip service unity. We're like, yeah, no, we all know we're part of the same church to actually taking us. I feel like there's a maturing and we're going from just this loose unity kind of idea to a place where actually it feels like God's starting to birth celebration in our hearts towards the other churches. Celebration, guys. When, when someone brings on a new eldership couple, as we have done recently, the idea is that other churches would be going, yes! That's as if it happened in our church. When, when someone sends someone out, we're all saying, yes! Not like, I wish that happened in my church. And this resentment. There's that beautiful quote that if we, if we are not happy for revival to start in the church down the road, then we don't truly want revival. If it starts down the road and we like grumpy because it didn't start in our church, we don't want it. And the reason I'm telling you that is because of John 13. This is what Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, why? Why? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I think one of the most beautiful tools that Jesus is putting into our missional toolbox, Church of Stellenbosch, the most beautiful tool God is putting into our missional toolbox is church celebrating church. It is missional to the core. When we begin to look, people look in and they say, those guys look like they love each other. Because for many, many years, it's looked like those guys are competing. There's a competition. Jesus says, this love for one another will be effective 
witness. People will look and say, wow. The other problem with competition is that when we're in competition, all our resources get focused here. If I'm terrified that you're going to leave, man, we've got to make this place. The events have got to be so good. Because if the other church has got a better event than ours, then people are going to go there. Our worship's got to be so insane. Because otherwise, they're all going to go to Hillsong. We're all going to go to show for. And we live with this competitive nonsense in our hearts. It's completely anti-Bible, but somehow it's crept in and become a norm in the churches. When one church wins, kingdom wins. We need to be big-hearted and open-handed. Now, I'm sharing this very practically with us in this moment today, because today we say goodbye to some of our finest in Chris and Adele who are moving on. And Chris is going to come and share in a moment. Remember I started off? This is costly. Mission is costly. And I've invited Chris today to come and share some of the story that they've been on as a family. But I wanted to bed it so deeply in our hearts that this is not bad. This is good. And we teach this and we preach it. But today, what an opportunity for us to demonstrate it. So Chris, come on, come and share some of your journey with us. Bring your family up just now. We want to pray them off. And he's going to just share a little bit of their story. And guys, this is the, this is the, the punchline. They're going to show far. Can we go, yay! Yeah. Can we say thank you, Jesus? Here we go. So share some of your story with us. And then we're going to pray for you. Hello, there we go. Yeah, what, uh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, what we just wanted to, to give an example of is, is more mission uh, in church. You remember in the early days, you know, with uh, NCMI, it was very much church planting. So church planting is a, is a massive form of missions. Um, so instead of just going to Rwanda, you know, we also have to, to build a body here. And, you know, for us, it's been pretty much about 20 years where we started off. We were just married, and we started off with Wally and Shirley Gersmeyer in Life Changes Church in Tableview uh, in their house. It was a house church. And we, we served them and, you know, served each other. And then after that, when we moved to Stellenbosch, we started serving uh, Pete and Jan with you on the, not um, on your team, but but with you. In Somerset West, when in Stellenbosch planted, we uh, planted here with Mark and um, and and Elna, and then Steph, and then Paul and Kate. And um, now we're moving on. You know, and if we say to you, it's been fantastic. It's been 20 years, fantastic, and now. Next move, it's it's not true. It's actually to be transparent, being sometimes really hard. You know, it's uh, you know it's tough to to clean the toilets again, or to to have to to carry speakers. And you understand about Campbell? Do you remember the, how heavy those speakers were on a Sunday night? Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's really you know and you do it every Sunday night and you continue with it, continue with it, and. Um, if we look back um, over that time, you know, the benefit that we received, you know, of just the best friends, you know, that we've got, you know, in this, this church, you know, is, is um, or some of my best friends I met in church. Um, the stuff we shared in life group, you know, Leon in your group and um, in many, many groups, you know, over this time, you know, you think it's hard, you think it's missional, but... So if you just think wherever that mission is, it, it really is not hard. It's, it's my burden is light, my yoke's easy. The benefit is like out of this world, you know, if you think of it. If you think of the friendship, you think, think of the sound team, the leadership from Johannes, you know, the guys on the sound team I served with, you know, Simon that, that's sitting here. You know, whenever someone couldn't do his duty, then, uh, yeah, who can do duty for us? Simon, I'll do it. And the next time, hey, who can do duty for us? No, Simon, I'll do it. <laughs> it's like, it's just such an alaka. You know, you see so much character, you learn so much, you become so much of a better person, actually. And then lastly, if you think of the leadership, you know, the, the benefit we get in church life. I mean, if I just think of those, you know, the guys that's not in church, you know, they, they miss out so much. You know, the, the quality of, of, you know, and depth of leadership we get. And it's missional leadership, and it's 
servant leadership. You know, Pete, Pete and Jan, you know, I just, you know, sorry, Paul, you know, when you guys, you know, walked in this morning, I just thought, you know, it's, it would be such a privilege just, just to say something about, about you guys, you know, just, just, you know, how, you know, what a privilege it was to, to hear you preach, you know, this, you know, guy in front here, he could preach like, like it was just insane. He had this saying, you know, in a charismatic church, you know, we, you know, if you walk into this church, then we do not invite you to book your brains out of the door. You come in and come reason with us. Come, come, let's show you in scripture, you know, how much faith you can have. You know, we think in charismatic churches, you just got to have faith. You know, Pete taught us that you start reasoning it and you read the word and then that builds your faith. And then you've got faith. You know, it was amazing. Remember that, that um, preach, um, bankrolling the, the romance. Remember that? I don't know if you remember. You know, there's about, you know, you have to have, you know, you can't be generous bankrolling the romance. You can't be generous unless it really comes out of your heart, your love for God. You know, it's a love relationship. It's from that love that we serve the mission. You know, stuff, stuff like that. And then just a, lastly, quickly, you know, I just thought Paul and Kate, you know, if you think, think of them, that, that missioning, yeah, that came missioning into Stellenbosch, you know, you, you know took over from Steph um, to mission, yeah, it's, it's so much still mission. You know, you guys are still so much mission. You know, we had to serve many times and not, you know, we didn't stand in front all the time, you know, but we were part of mission and, you know, I just shared the benefit of that mission. But, but Paul, just one thing, I just thought of a word, you know, if I think of Paul, then this Paul, <laughs> then I just had the word, the word to me, that came to mind as the word generosity. Now, now, I can, why generosity towards a pastor? You know, we should be generous towards church, not so. But, you know, if I just think, you know, the stuff that I saw in his life so far, you know, where he just thinks so much out the box, you know, the time where he handed his business over, you know, you know, successful, successful business, you know, to come run a church and serve in a church. You know, he, he literally gave it away to his brother, you know, and I thought at the time, yes, I was... I know he did, but it, <laughs> but it, 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 no, I really mean it. You know, he, it was in my mind, there's also um, in business, I thought, no, I mean, if you think of, of, of estates and stuff where people protect what they've got, you know, it's theirs, you know, and Paul was just saying, you know, I just saw in him like, yes, you're doing this. You really get this. You're young, you, but you really get this thing of being generous and just give away, you know, and the next thing is when he heard that we, you know, feel we've got to move on, you know, if I could play to you the voice note that he left me, you know, that I could, yeah, there's a, like emotion in it, you know, it's not, not just, okay, thanks, bye, you know, it was, it was deep, deep emotion, but I just could sense that this that he spoke about um, a bit earlier about the churches coming together, you know, I really pray that Paul and Kate would actually play a leadership role there. I really think he gets that portion of it, you know, that he, he realizes that I share my flock, if I can call it generously, you know, because we, that, that's what, what, it, what it's about. It's not his and Kate's. And lot, a lot, so yeah, I just want to say about Kate that's somewhere, you know, that, you know, the words that came to mind there, there was just like this um, oil of gladness, you know. It's like in a time where they had to come to a new city, to the Bruderbond, Stannenbosch, area, you know, where they, you know, and she just served Paul in that, you know, and, you know, I saw her run, we live, live in the same area, and I saw this girl run this uphill, you know, in the middle of the day, uh, uh, pushing a pram, you know, I just thought, is this girl crazy, you know, it's the, you know, you know, and she had to sacrifice, I mean, the hill's this steep, you know, and she just, you know, you know, she can't be English at all, you know, and that, that eat to, and she is actually, <laughs> those that don't know, but it, you know, it's just so, that, that's the time she's got, you know, and she, you know, I'm sure she enjoyed that cycling or running with, with gladness, you know, and so, so I think they, they are the ones that's really missional. They show us what it is to be missional. So let's pray for them, you know, and you know, the, the better they are, the more we'll benefit. So it's a selfish prayer by, pray, by praying for them. Cool. Something short. <laughs> I just want to reiterate some of what Chris said. Just in terms of Pete and Jan, I also just want to honor you for what the role you played in our lives. And I need to keep this on the lighter side, otherwise I'm going to probably not continue the conversation. But <laughs> the one thing, so we, we learned a lot, and I'm going to 
um, tell you the thing that just I just remember because it, I remember the stuff that made me laugh. And Pete, the one thing Pete said, which I still am not really doing very well, is that and it has nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> but one day he said, an old barn needs paint. <laughs> and now that I'm in the old barn um, category, I'm <laughs> trying to do the painting, but it's just not, <laughs> just don't do it well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, go with it. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I also just want to say that it, the way that your lives honored God when we were still in New Gen, someone, to, someone said, where's your lives honor God even more now than ever. So I just want to give you your yeah, honor for that. And thank you guys for all that we could learn from you. Thank you for the influence yeah. that all of you, all of you <laughs> had on us. I made awesome friends. And on the one hand, I wanted to just slink out of church and go, just go next door. But I realized I would have dishonored you because of what you meant to us. And the fact is we're just going next door. So it would be silly to say goodbye to you all because yeah. we're not moving to another country. But so we... Our friends will stay our friends forever, I believe. And, um, yeah, we're just very, we're very fortunate to have been in this body. And just coming in this morning, just seeing true family, people that haven't been here for a bit and people hugging each other and just um, the friendships that they are here, this is true family. Mm. I just want to commend you for that. Thank you, Charles. Don't go anywhere. We're going to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, appreciate them. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you get the girls. Guys who know come. them, people Natasha, who love them, come. friends, come, come. come on up, we're going to pray for them. Father, we're just so grateful, God, for how your mission, how your gospel brings us together under the banner of one Lord. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for these friends who have journeyed with us, who have served their hearts out in this community. God, who have built deep friendships with us, Lord, and have we've just been able to see the grace of God on their lives, Father. And Just think back to the, the times um, yeah, that we've spent together, God, and just so grateful. Father, we, we commend them to you, their family, their girls, uh, in this new chapter of their journey. And we pray that they would be even more of a blessing uh, in Shofar, Lord God, in the next season. That they would just be an incredible breath of, of fresh air, of life, bringing their contribution, their gifts, um, just with joy, with diligence, um, bringing encouragement. Lord, I thank you for all that you've placed in them, for the business acumen. You've, you've given Chris just incredible gifts, Lord God, and we pray that you would multiply those gifts. You would make him a multiplier, Father, and a disciple maker in his business, Lord God. We pray that you would bless him, Father, increasingly, and his family, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you. Your love, your care, and um, Chris... Lord, thank you so much for your sent to him. And uh, we pray to you uh, and, and, and your love and care. And, and beautiful, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for this couple. Thank you for the opportunity to send, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Thank you for great family decisions for good reasons, Father. Thank you for the way that you've loved through them. Thank you for the many, many unknown moments where they've sacrificed and paid price to build this community, to love on people in this community, given generously, thought generously instead of critically. Father, you've done so much in and through them. And I want to thank you this morning for a moment to honor them, to celebrate them, and thank you, Lord, for the season that they were with us, Father. Would you bless them? Would you catapult them into the future and plans that you have for them, Lord Jesus? In your wonderful name. Amen and amen.
Guys, thank you for your grace. I know we're going a little bit long. I want to do one more thing, and that is to pray for our final year students, guys who are leaving. So we, another part of our mission is that we are in a transient community that every year, without even trying, we just plant people back to Zimbabwe, back to KZN, back overseas, wherever they are going. And so the three that I know about this morning, Pete and Yana, you guys are absolutely been a joy to us. Why don't you come up? And Elizabeth, where are you? Why don't you come up as well? And is anyone else, is anyone else here that we don't, that I have missed this morning, that this is your last, not your last Sunday, but you, you leaving one over at the end of this year? Because last year at about 20, so it seems like the Lord's been gracious to us. And I so are you also leaving? <laughs> well, come on up. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Come on up. Have I missed anybody else that's told me and I forgot? So again, friends, Loved ones, this is the last thing we're going to do this morning. I've got a tiny bit more to do around communion. I think, I think the Lord will be okay if we don't do communion today. We can go out and get some coffee and tea. But those of you who love them, who know them, we want to send them with our blessing and ask that God would equip them and send them well into the next part of their journey, especially as you guys get married. How co- I can't believe that she said yes. But we're so glad she did. And um, well done for coming and finding a good woman in this town. Come and let's pray. Come on up, friends, loved ones, family members, if you're here, come and let's pray for them and send them on their way.